is Ronaldo. Oh, my goodness. You don't save those. Out of this world. Messi. 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 There are things on here for the USA. Can they do it here? Cross and Dempsey's denied again. And Donovan has scored. Oh, can you believe this? Go, go, USA. Certainly through. Oh, it's incredible. You could not write a script like this. For the fourth time, the United States of America are crown champions of the world. From the international stage to right here at home, this is FUVFC, talking all things soccer on WFUV Sports. What is up, FUVFC Nation? It is Friday, February 3rd, 2023. Keenan Troy, James Burley, Gino Alva in studio. Transfer window closed this week. We'll start there. Also breaking down some FA Cup stuff as well as, James, I don't know how we want to cut it up in terms of describing this United States men's national team's January camp, but we can at least say it's back to soccer after the past you know two-plus months of storylines focused on personal relationships and not the game. So at least you know we got to watch some soccer, uh, a loss to Serbia, and then a draw to Colombia. We can get into that a little bit later. But gentlemen, first before we get in, it's awfully cold outside. How are you all doing? I'm doing very, very well, Keenan. Uh, it's good to see you two back here in studio again. You know, we I think for this crew, the three of us, we always have a lot of fun talking soccer, whether it be domestic or abroad, international or at the club level. So I'm really, really excited to, to get into this with you guys. Um, yeah, it's a cold weekend, but we're talking football, and that always warms us up, right, guys? So let's uh, let's get this going on, on this lovely FUVFC Friday. Yeah, it's been a good week. Uh, I think the transfer market window has been very exciting these days. Uh, it's better. It's pretty. Pretty much reminds me of that whole, you know, last uh, August uh, transfer window. But yeah, it's back to get into it, and hopefully, you know, the Premier League is coming back this week. So yeah, all things to talk about. Let's start with that transfer window. Then I think there are some big name grabs we can look at. You know, Jorginho moving from Chelsea across town to Arsenal. I don't know if you guys saw that Kukurea interview for like a Goal.com storyline, and he was asked like, "Who is you know the smartest, most tactical guy in the squad?" And Cucurello goes, "Oh, it's got to be Jorginho." And the producer's like, "Yeah, he just got transferred to Arsenal like five minutes ago, so maybe <laughs> have to revise that answer." Shocker out of Man City, Jao Cancelo moving to Bayern Munich. You know as We'll get into FA Cup action and that matchup between City and Arsenal. Losing someone like Jao Cancelo for really no apparent reason, as it looked like City's, you know, set to make another title charge, and he plays a pretty pivotal role in that side. We had Nottingham Forest adding up. Chelsea continuing to splash out money, adding more and more attacking to prowess, but, you know, still playing Kepa in net, which is always always hilarious. I don't know where we want to start. I think, you know, laying that all out there, the question was always, who are buyers, who are sellers? That's the nature of any deadline day across sports. But for me, I think the real shocker is teams that did nothing. Like, nothing. Like, United's only addition was Savitzer, 
and Weghorst earlier in the month. And I think where they see themselves is like, this is the nucleus we want to play around. But teams like Tottenham Hotspur and teams like Liverpool, historically in that top four, or at least competing for that top four, adding nothing and really getting outshown by a team like Nottingham Forest, it's it raises some eyebrows, at least in terms of how we think the direction of these next four months of Premier League soccer are going to play out, James. Yeah, and it's certainly an, insert, an uncertain time uh, when we look at the Premier League table. You know, we think that Arsenal are probably the favorites to, to run away with it, being that they are in first, but we're going to talk about their FA Cup tie to City on the weekend. That was a close match. City were probably the deserved victors, and they're going to be the ones who are going to challenge Arsenal. So this is a very big transfer window, and there's make no mistake about it, Chelsea are the biggest spenders of all, and I think they've drew, drawn a lot of criticism for that reason, being that they still have a ridiculously talented uh, slew of players, and they went out and brought in Enzo Fernandez, Mikhailo Mudrik, Joe Felix, Benoit Badiashil, um, among others, for over £200 million uh, pounds, uh, total, I believe, uh, if you add all up, including the loans. So I think you have to look at what Chelsea are doing and say they're, the whole navigating through the loopholes of FIFA financial fair play, UEFA, uh, their regulations, uh, I don't know enough about that. And I don't think anybody in the world, even UEFA or FIFA, knows enough about those rules because City violated them, got away with it. Chelsea and PSG have now added themselves to the list of teams who have uh, gone through FIFA financial, play, financial fair play loopholes. So I'm not ready to to draw criticism for that. But if you want to say that Chelsea are mismanaging their team and their funds, that's a different discussion. Another team that I would say, you mentioned teams that aren't doing enough. I think Manchester United bringing in another piece to control their midfield. They, he, Sabitzer's being billed as a replacement for Christian Eriksen. Um, I think that's. I think they've identified the profiles one for one pretty nicely. I think they they, they, they fill similar roles. But I, I wouldn't say that Christian Eriksen was the desperately needed replacement with this team. I think they still have depth in midfield. But I think a team that doesn't have depth in midfield that really could have benefited from a guy like Sabitzer is Liverpool, like you mentioned, where they've had injuries to their midfielders all season long. They brought in uh, Artur and that you know didn't really work out. They brought in Cody Gakbo, who is more of a winger, can play in an attacking midfield role, but not the profile you'd want to play in that dual pivot uh, for Liverpool. So they're in a tricky situation where they made a move that... Um, didn't necessarily fill a position of need. I think you look at the wingers, Luis Diaz being out injured for as long as he was, and it, it made sense to bring in a winger, but I still think that the midfield was there, was that was really where they needed to look to improve to get back into a title and top four conversation, which they're currently not a part of. And I don't think Cody Gakbo, we've seen uh, a couple of cameos now from him in January. He hasn't looked that impressive. Um, but yeah, this is, this is a make or break now for Chelsea where they're going to be they're going to be fully in the mentality now bringing in five, six, seven players, uh, two of which are on loan. The rest, I think, are all permanent. Now it's they're going to start trying to win now, and they're going to try to reestablish themselves. And now they don't have ex an excuse. Graham Potter doesn't have an excuse. Bowley doesn't have an excuse. They've, they've, they've spent the money now. The results have to come. Yeah, there's always shocking news when it comes to the transfer window. But for me, what I was shocked at and I looked at more was the failed transfers. Um, when we talk about Ziyech from Chelsea, you know, he, he was going to be signed to PSG, but then at some point in the last minute of the day, 
it just didn't happen. There was some you know conversation between the Chelsea executives and the PSG executives, and it just didn't come into fruition. Uh, but also, uh, yeah, James, like you were saying, and uh, you too, Keenan, about you know the teams that didn't do anything. And when I look at that, I look at Liverpool, and I think Jurgen Klopp during the transfer window said, you know, he has no uh, plan to you know sign to new players. He's going to continue with the team that he has. But it's been looking really bad for Liverpool. You know, they're only in two competitions. And they play Real Madrid in the Champions League in the first leg. And you know what happened in the last final. So it's definitely, you know, it's going to be a very difficult couple of months for Liverpool. Uh, but, yeah, for Manchester United, you know, Eriksen, you know, obviously was injured in the last couple of games. And it was kind of a panic by by Marcel. And these things in the transfer window, is like, you know, it happens all in one day. You know, Marcel was definitely a player in Bayern. Didn't have thoughts of Manchester United. Get a couple of calls later from his agent saying Manchester United are interested in you. He said yes right away. Gone to playing, got to Old Trafford, got to Carrington, signed his deal, and it all happened in a couple of hours. So definitely, when com- when it comes to the transfer window, you know, there's definitely some big names there. Um, for Nottingham, Andrew Ayew coming back to, I th- did he play in the Prem before? I think he did play in the Prem before. Yes, he yeah, did. He, he didn't played. Play the... I I actually met him after a Premier League game. He played for West Ham. Yeah, he played for I West Ham. I met him outside Stamford Bridge. <laughs> so <laughs> scored against the U.S. Uh, and uh, when I look at you know other big teams like Real Madrid, Atletico, Barcelona, you know Madrid also. Carlo Ancelotti stated that you know yeah he's going to stick with his team. And uh, Dani Ceballos has been outstanding for Real Madrid. So they were going to sell him at some point during the season, but he's definitely been shaping up. Uh, but it's been definitely a hectic transfer window to say the least. I mean. We'll see if these players, you know, perform well during, you know, with their teams. But obviously, the points could be looking at Chelsea with all their spending that they did. I think they spent over hundred millions of dollars of new players, and Jao Felix can't even play a game because he has a red card. So, yeah, definitely a shocking transfer window, to be to say the least. Yeah, and I think for me, you know, in years gone by, we've seen teams, you know, load up, whether it be in the summer window, I guess more traditionally in the summer window, but also, you know. In years past, we've seen the winter window be used as an opportunity, especially when, you know, teams are competing in bigger and more, you know, multitudes. I was a really clunky way of saying competing in a lot of competitions. You know, if you're in the likes of the FA Cup, maybe still still alive in the Carabao Cup, Champions League, Europa League, Premier League, you know, you're in a race in all of those. Whether you believe those aspirations or not, the winter window historically has provided teams that opportunity to, you know, take a risk on a player or bring someone in that, you know, probably isn't going to play for them, but is just a depth piece. And I think that's why as chaotic as this was of a a transfer window, I, I come out with the same outlook that I had going in, which is it's still a two horse race at the top. And unless something drastic happens, you know, United, Fulham, as crazy as that sounds, Tottenham, and, you know, Newcastle still, maybe Liverpool or Chelsea reinsert themselves, but I don't think they did enough to, you know, make them a force to be reckoned with in terms of just on paper in the second half of the Premier League season this year. It just, it doesn't feel like for me, James, there's that sense of urgency from, you know, even Chelsea spending a ton of money, just continuing to load up on top end talent and, you know, what can you say about Chelsea's attacking prowess over the past five years? They haven't had a, a resolute option up top to who consistently bags goals for them, whether it be Lukaku, Marata, Hazard was probably their last true 1A option. Timo Werner, who has 
I mean, probably the worst Premier League run we've ever seen. Yeah, that was bad. In terms of money spent. So bad. I and you Harry lo- Maguire, but uh, yeah. <laughs> Harry Maguire. It's gotta be <laughs> Harry Maguire. And losing someone like Jorginho too, who's been a you know, a constable in that midfield for so long and really dictates the way the game is played for Chelsea. It just feels like spending without a purpose for them, but also looking at the broader Premier League, I don't anticipate a whole lot of shakeup, which I feel like in this year where you've got the young boys on the block, Arsenal, ahead of everyone, it's a chance for the teams like City, the teams like Liverpool. I would even put United in the mix because, you know, they were only second two years ago. Even Tottenham, who have been like knocking on that door for so long, to take advantage of the fact that, hey, we're chasing a team that hasn't even had aspirations to win the title, let alone be in a title race in the past 10 years. So I I felt like it was a missed opportunity for some of those bigger clubs, but, you know, at the same time, I feel like if I'm Liverpool, if I'm United, I guess the two opinions are different, but it's we're not really in a spot to contend, so might as well just try and lock things up for a summer window. I I just, just, to touch on Chelsea real quick, I just uh, there's been a lot of criticisms that the academy in Chelsea and Cobham that that they spent so much infrastructure and funding on is not producing players to the standards of other top end English and even London academies. Like you look at Arsenal's team, all the homegrowns they have, they're all high end, really promising players like Bukayo Saka. You know, you you've got Reese James at Chelsea, and you've got. Even even to a degree, Mason Mount. And the problem is now that they're... It looks like they're trying to mimic the Arsenal style. They got rid of Jorginho, who you know is 31 years old, and they replaced, they replaced all these guys. They brought in seven players, all are 23, 24 or younger. So th- they want to make a new team. This is, this is... I wouldn't say that they have a clear purpose here. It's a lot of it is just like the Man City strategy of casting a very wide net, throwing and seeing what sticks and what fits into the club. I think, though, because of the youth and players that they've brought, Enzo Fernandez, Joao Felix, and Mudrik, the, the amount of money they spent on him, it seems like they're creating a, a, a new a new team to move forward with. Um, you know, they Pulisic is is on the way out. That that much is clear. Um, but that was another thing too yeah. frustrating. Like, how is Jorginho? And I know we want to get to the FA Cup so we can make this conversation quick, James. But when you're spending all this money bringing in attacking options, and you don't get rid of any of them. I feel like it makes Graham Potter's job a lot more difficult than yeah. it needs to be. Cuz if you're I'm all for going with the new direction of, you know, bringing in new players, you know, new ownership group, you know, has a lot of dead money in terms of players maybe they don't believe in, but the fact of the matter is unless you're moving on from them entirely, they're going to be on your bench. They're going to have to be included, you know, within your 18 to go out and sit on the bench and, you know, that money is just chewing away at what you could be spending on. And yeah, they're spending well beyond what UEFA probably is telling them to spend or allowing them to spend. But, you know, I felt like this would have been a window if you're bringing all these players in, maybe let a Mason Mount go. I know Pulisic is injured, so nobody wants to take that yeah. on. I know he was rumored to get out of there. But also, I could have seen, like, maybe Kai Havertz leaving. I know that Ziyech fell through, too. You, but th- You think about all the all these. These are all names that they have just brought in within the last few years to bolster their attack. Like Raheem Sterling came in from the summer as well. This is a team that, that spent a lot recently to get better and now are just, I feel like they're completely gutting the team. I, I, I just, I, I don't understand. The one thing I don't understand is that they, they have a lot of options and it seems like they are not, 
I, I'm like I, I agree with you. Like, I'm okay with them investing in new options and taking a new direction. But it seems like a lot of what they did the past two, three years. I mean, they got a Champions League through in that time frame. But a lot since Mickey has been, Mouse. It was in the bubble. We it, hold that to the was, same standard was, as LeBron's rings. It was. Here. It was. It was uh, something a bit tainted. But I, I would say that was that was pretty legit for a Champions League run. And for what it's worth, since then it's been pretty much just all problems. So it was probably just a, they caught ma- a, ma- a magic moment at a good time, and now that what with the new ownership and the new management, now we've had three managers in four and a half, less than that, less than it's four years. The past two years, yeah. I mean, if you just look at the timeline, yeah, they won the Champions League, they come back. Tuchel's been you know outstanding in, in his first couple of matches, then a couple of matches he's been wrong, and then they decided to sack him. Yeah, which it, I wasn't, I didn't agree on basically because he. If you if like a Liverpool, they wouldn't sack Jurgen Klopp if you won the Champions League. Yeah, no, this is this is a Chel- this is like a Chelsea pattern now of making very big like transformative decisions yeah. to the club at an administrative level. This is a, like a remarkable transfer window. What no matter which way you look at it, the amount of players they bring in, the amount of money they spend, even when they already had just brought in things to bolster the team, I think that it just puts them in. A really awkward scenario now for Graham Potter, too, because if he doesn't win with all these reinforcements, where is that going to leave him? It's going to leave him on the chopping block, and they're going to be looking for a new manager come June. Yeah, Chelsea uh, also got a new uh, owner at that time, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, Pulisic, obviously, no game time. And that's been a you know struggle for him for the past season and players leaving. Timo Werner played for Chelsea, and he decided not to be in the Premier League. He just didn't want to be in it anymore after mm-hmm. winning the Champions League. And, and then just went back to Germany. So it's definitely a struggling time for a Chelsea fan. They're 10th in the league, and they play Borussia Dortmund in the Champions League in a knockout. So uh, hopefully they can turn it around, but I just don't see it happening, even with all these transfers. I mean, yeah. I don't understand the past couple of years, the Chelsea and Arsenal connection with transfers. Like a player like William was Giroud, playing for Chelsea. William. Went to Jorginho. Arsenal. Giroud went to Arsenal. Like, David Luiz. David Luiz went to Arsenal. Check. He was Petr Cech. Like, Peter Cech. This is supposed to be, they're supposed to be massive rivals, are they not? This is, and they're Arsenal, is, is Arsenal players. not Chelsea's biggest rival? And they're swapping players, like all the time. Like David Luiz, I see David Luiz only in a Chelsea We shirt. just went back to like only six yeah. years and named five. Five very prominent players. All right, we're gonna keep this moving. Sorry about that, but we we did we did rope in Arsenal, so there's a there's a segue for you. Well, I was gonna say Chelsea playing Jao Cancelo's former club in Man City. He's going to Bayern Munich to play Chelsea, but his former club Man City had a really heated FA Cup tie against Arsenal this past weekend on Friday, January 27th. It was Nathan Ake's 64th minute winner that saw the defending uh, Barclays Premier League champions take down the aspiring champions to be Arsenal in the fourth round of the FA Cup. This was a game that I thought going into it, you know, the, take what you want from the FA Cup. I wasn't sure the strategy we were going to see from both managers. Like, I thought there was maybe have been some mind games that could have been played, whether it was, like, Arteta fielding a weaker lineup. And maybe you can say he did just because the omissions of Martinelli, Odegaard, and Saliba on the bench. But make no mistake about it. Man City, Pep, I think, fielded this team last Friday with a purpose to go out and, you know, hopefully curb stomp Arsenal. It ended up only being 1-0. When you look at the 
players on the pitch for City, the only player taking a breath, uh, a breath, excuse me, was Ederson. Everything else is probably the starting eleven we'd expect to see in the Premier League. Much of the same from Arteta, with the exception of Ramsdale getting a break and maybe some defensive stuff that could have been changed. Ben White didn't get a start, but even still, he's kind of inconsistent in that starting 11 as it is in the Premier League. But Saka and Ketia Trossard up front, maybe you say Martinelli deserves to be there over Trossard, but he was just brought in, so, you know, getting his feet underneath him. Xhaka, Partey, and Vieira in the midfield. Odegaard, obviously the omission, but he gets subbed on as well. Um, And then across the back line, Tierney, Staple, Gabrielle and Holding, one of those two typically play alongside Saliba. So, again, giving one guy, you know, giving both of them an opportunity to play. Tamiyasu in and out, interchangeable with Ben White and Matt Turner in net. I think this game, for me, I don't I don't want to say it doesn't reveal anything, but it, it speaks to, at least for me, the quality of Arsenal. Because I would say three years ago, even two years ago, I could even go, say, last year, I know it's a 1-0 defeat and you're out of the FA Cup, but that was a game in which Arsenal had a foot in the game a foot in the door the entire time. And obviously Ake scores in the 64th minute, City's able to see it out, but I think it shows that at least to me that Arsenal is as good as advertised. And we knew that, but you know, for them to line up against City in an FA Cup tie and go, you know, neck and neck with them I think, speaks to how far we've seen this Arsenal team leap in the past calendar year. Yeah, and I and I we I feel like we keep coming on to the podcast and and we keep praising Arsenal and as long as they keep performing well, that's going to continue. So I have no problem doing that. But this is a game that we're we were looking at it for the measuring stick purposes, not necessarily because we are the biggest FA Cup fans in here, but because we wanted to see what this game was going to look like to give us an indication of where the title race is going to go. And I think if we can take anything away, it's that both of these teams are at incredibly close levels to one another. I, I think that City probably deserved the win for how they how they controlled the game after going up 1-0. But I think up until that point, it was fairly even. I think Arsenal had their, I wouldn't say fair share of chances. It wasn't the most, you know, it wasn't the most, like you'd expect from a City Arsenal game, potentially, like we got from Arsenal and United, where they were just peppering the net back and forth, and that, and what was just an absolute slugfest. And th- this wasn't like that. It was obviously much more tactical, much more approached. And I think you feel Arsenal and United, while they may have put on the most entertaining performance, I think you've got the two, the two most uh, calculated teams when you see City and Arsenal. Uh, I, I, I both t- teams, like you mentioned, Keenan played probably like around 75 to 85 percent of their starting 11 give or take a few so I think it's it's a good measuring point we look at it we say this is where these teams are I'm not ready to 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 say that City are a level ahead of Arsenal and I'm certainly not ready to say Arsenal are a level ahead of City you know maybe if Ben White plays in this game there's a stronger foundation in the back line of Arsenal and there's a different way to cut to cut the result up and maybe if in if Lewis doesn't start in the midfield for City and it's Bernardo Silva then maybe they just pound them on the counter constantly and you know there's just too many weapons on both of these teams where you can just look at their lineups and think uh anyone can win on any given day and that's why we love what the Premier League has become with these title races we kind of lost that there for a while when City started running away with it so for that purpose for entertainment purposes good to see Arsenal 
you know, claw back to the top of the table. But I still think City are probably the better team. I, that's I'm not ready to say that this is this is uh, you know uh, cut and dry one way or the other. But City, they have they have the strongest duo in the league with De Bruyne and Holland. You can't you can't cut that away from their team. If you talk about Manchester City, you have to mention how many goals Erling Holland has scored and how good Kevin De Bruyne is at finding him in the penalty area with a cross because it's going to happen. No no team in the Premier League has a weapon like that. No team has the spending power of Manchester City even though Chelsea's trying their best and no team has as good players as Manchester City just overall. They're the best team on paper in this league. And that's why I think it was important to finally see these two teams have a competitive match this season because they still got to play a couple more times in the Prem, which is going to be huge. That's 12-point swing. We've mentioned that a couple times. And now City have a body of work where they can look back on and say, these. They obviously they didn't need to have that. They knew that they could measure up to these to these guys. But now that they can look at this, build off this performance and say, well, at home, we were the better side. Take it from here. Climb back up the table. They're gonna. It's a chasing game, but I think what we learned is that City are not only can we not count them out, but this race is much more closer than we can ever think it is. I think before the game we predicted it was gonna be a three-two Man City win. Yeah, we we want we, we wanted so the, the, the excitement that game. Manchester yeah. City was gonna win this game, and I see Erling Holland scoring hat tricks every week, so I thought it was gonna be Man City controlling the game. But you gotta give credit to the Arsenal's back line. I mean, to, to having one nil, you know. Uh, loss against Manchester City, who is potentially going to be your rival for the next couple of weeks. I mean, they haven't played each other in the Premier League yet, so that's going to be exciting. But I think uh, this Man City team is still capable of beating, you know, Arsenal home and away. But definitely, when it comes to the Emirates, it's going to be. I think who who does uh does Manchester City play home first or away first? That is a good question. Because yeah, actually, it does you know matter? Because uh, th- Arsenal. The em- Arsenal are at home Arsenal next Wednesday, home? okay, and so that I get yeah. So uh, Arsenal would be away. They play one of the last match days of the season, it late late April. Late, late April. Um, I don't know. I don't know which match day exactly it is, but they they will be at the Etihad in April, in the Emirates on next Wednesday. Yeah, I think Man City is getting back into the rhythm of scoring and performing well. Obviously, when they play Man U, it was kind of a shock to many um, to many fans. You know them going to Old Trafford and losing to to Manu, who's in a rebuilding stage, and obviously are getting to play a final in the League Cup against Newcastle. But I think every Arsenal fan watching this performance, I don't think they cared about it because they've won FA Cups in the past, regardless <laughs> of you know what players they had and what coach they had. Uh, so they want something more, which is the Premier League. So you know, I, I saw a lot of fans saying, you know, we don't care. You know, we lost against Man City, but we're surprised it wasn't a, a goal smashing five nil, four nil. Uh, but I think Arsenal fans are very confident that this team, especially a defensive uh, line, they're going to possibly defeat Manchester City in one of those games in the upcoming uh, fixtures in the Premier League. Yeah, and I think as we kind of get ready for that first clash of those two in the Premier League, I think to your point, Gino, Arsenal fans here are sitting and saying, in years gone by, that game would have mattered a lot more. But this year is different. This year is special. And February 15th is the game that we want to win. So they can have the 1-0 victory in the FA Cup because, you know, in two weeks' time, that is the most important game probably to Arsenal Football Club in a long time. So I think that 
you know, as we start to unravel the rest of this Premier League season and, you know, see where City lines up in the FA Cup, you know, assuming that they continue the run of form, that's the Manchester City standard, um, as well as Arsenal's, you know, continued run of really, really sound football in the Prem. I can't help but to get ahead of myself and think about that April matchup between the two sides because, you know, Arsenal, are, as I've said, are the new kids on the block, you know, play with a ton of high energy, ton of fun. That is a game in April that regardless of the outcome in the FA Cup tie, regardless of the what happens at the Emirates in two weeks' time, at the Etihad in April, both teams presumably still fighting for the title. That's going to tell us a lot about what this Arsenal squad is. Also in the FA Cup, I think we need to give them their flowers. Wrexham. Wrexham FC. The the team that I don't know how to properly categorize them without like sounding either fanboyish or like patronizing, but a team that's only relevant because of who their owners are. I think that's a fair synopsis, right? Yeah, it's, it's incredibly. Dead, it's fair. Deadpool and the guy from Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Yeah, yeah. That's Ryan, Mac, it's running it's this Mac. club. Yeah. yeah, it's Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhinney. Rob McElhinney. Wow, well, yeah. I thought I thought I wasn't going to be the o- the only It's Always Sunny fan in this room, but I no, guess I am. No. It's okay. Well, I just I didn't want to butcher his last name. It's I'm, fine. No, it's you did Mac great, L. You got something. it. You yeah. got it. Hey, yeah. thanks, James. You did a great always job. always here for you. But yeah, a thrilling, a really thrilling three-three draw against Sheffield United. It looked like for a second that Wrexham, a team that plays in one of the lowest divisions of English soccer, was going to knock off Sheffield, who are in the championship in the Premier League as recent as last year. Winner of this tie, this replay, which will occur next week, gets Tottenham Hotspur at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. It would be the most Spurs thing ever to lose to Wrexham. I think that would be, you know, nothing short of standard operating procedure for Tottenham Hotspur just because we know that they can't win anything ever. But I think when, you know, the sporting world, I don't know how we want to frame this discussion, James, but a team like Wrexham gaining so much popularity because, you know, their owners are superstars. I Superstars, excuse me. Yeah, I guess superstars. Pop stars. Like, I don't know. What's movie stars? I don't know. Movie TV stars. Pop culture icons. There we go. There you go. Um... I think that this, I think, bodes well, and is I don't want to make this an MLS discussion, but bodes well for the MLS and bodes well for soccer in terms of seeing from a point of view of not only it being like, oh, this is cool because these guys are involved, but also this is how you can cultivate a team yeah. like as investment opportunities. Because if they make it to face Spurs, the amount of money they're going to receive – from the FA is going to be ridiculous in the fifth round. Mm-hmm. But also I think that, you know, with the leadership that's in Wrexham, you know, it's been a documented rise. Um, FX does a show on it. I think that it's really invigorated the passion of casual U.S. soccer fans, maybe not even soccer fans themselves, but to see, like, we grew up with the institutions of, you know, Jets, Mets, Yankees, all these teams – I don't think anyone in the United States has felt maybe MLS expansions or the MLS itself, but for a lot of American sports fans, they don't know the struggle that a club has to go through to build themselves from the ground up, and Wrexham is doing a good job of like showing that 
it's getting people invested in soccer, which is always relevant and always, you know, something positive for U.S. soccer fans here. But the 3-3 draw was an absolute thriller. I don't want to take anything away from that game. Paul Mullen scores in the 86th minute. Ryan Reynolds looked like he's about to, like, cry. And then John Egan equalizes in the 90th, uh, 95th minute of stoppage time. And it's the duality of sport because one minute you're at your highest of highs, next minute he looks like he's about to throw up. It will be replayed next week. I think everyone's pulling for Wrexham. Tough day to be a, Sh- a Blades fan over in Sheffield because most everyone wants Wrexham to go through. But oh, all in all, a thrilling FA Cup tie. And kind of, you know, as you said, we're not a, the biggest FA Cup podcast, but it's kind of the beauty of the FA Cup. You get these matchups that see Wrexham go toe-to-toe with a team that was just in the Premier League. And it's like, oh, soccer can be equal across playing fields when the passion is there and when the belief is there. Yeah, this is why we love this game. This is why it's 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 stories like these is why we fall in love with the sport. Um, I do think we haven't gotten a chance to talk about Wrexham, Wrexham on this uh, on the podcast yet. And I do think Wrexham is has been a great thing for soccer in America. I'm become very I'm glad you mentioned like it's a good thing for MLS because it brings attention to U.S. soccer in a cool way. I think what what I have to give Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds credit for is that they highlighted a community with a lot of history and a lot of passion, and they invested in it. And that's that's a lot of what soccer investment is at the lower level in countries in Europe. And I think we're starting to mirror like that in America. Lower leagues are growing, not to the scale of Europe by any measure, but I think we can say, you look at gra- get grassroots soccer communities are, they're they're everywhere in America and they're growing. You look at what the growth of USL Championship, USL League One, USL League Two are blowing up like crazy. The NPSL is um, a big deal in terms of when they get to the championship. FC Motown, shout out Morristown, New Jersey. They won national champions. Anyway, the the point is the FA Cup does bring about a magic to it, and it highlights stories like Wrexham, who otherwise wouldn't be highlighted if they didn't also have a documentary and were owned by uh, pop culture icons, as you put it. With that said, though, there has come like this sort of rift on Twitter and just online soccer community spaces between people saying the reason why Wrexham is so successful is because they have all these community stories connected to them. Meanwhile, in American soccer, we don't have that. I think that's like a false equivalence. Obviously, the history to soccer in Europe is always going to be more vast than what we have in America because it just predates it. But to say that there's an inauthenticity in American soccer fandom and in American soccer culture is I I find disingenuous. And I think that you look at any team, not just in Major League Soccer, but all the way down the ladder to semi-professional, even in this country, there's history and there's people, there's passionate people involved supporting the clubs. And I think that's something that we should hopefully take away from a show like welcome to Wrexham and from what we're seeing from a team like Wrexham be excited root for them root for this small community as they try to take on Goliath and they're just a small Vanarama National League fifth division team in England but I think we can look at this and take examples from this in the United States and say invest in your own community here and see what it could mean to people see what it how could it uplift and bring people together instead of saying well MLS is bad for this reason this is why people don't like MLS well instead of saying this is why contribute to your own community and let's see this growth and that you want it to come in this country um, but with that to go back to the match because I just just to highlight that about Wrexham specifically in general uh, to, to highlight about the match it was an incredible game Th- this is drama that you wouldn't believe 
doesn't happen in a lot of games. Is it better we, than the World Cup final? It, it no. It's the same. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. It, I, ju- I mean, I'm trying to take out the nuance of the game in pure just football. It still wasn't a better game than the World Cup final. Yeah. Um, th- with that said, though, the 95th minute equalizer, the red card in the second half, Paul Mullen pulling ahead with just five minutes left plus stoppage time is crazy stuff. And that's like he's the main man for Wrexham. If you've seen the show, if you follow the team, even he's a little bit. He's the top goal scorer he's, of the FA he's, Cup. He's the top scorer in the FA Cup across all the comp. Well, they do have the advantage of playing, playing in all more, the early right? rounds. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> but to, but that still counts for something. And. Uh, we were we were we were mentioning before the show started. Like, is this Wrexham team? Are they like terrible? Are they good? What's the real st- deal? If you're not entirely familiar with the team, they are certainly above the standards of the National League. They spend way more, m- much more money now that they have it in the fifth division. But they would probably be mid-table uh, to to uh, nearing the top of the table in League Two, which is the fourth division. So to have gotten a draw against Sheffield United 3-3 is a massive result. Sheffield United were in the Premier League just two seasons ago. Um, This is a big result when you take away the 95th-minute heartbreaker. But now that they have to go to Sheffield to play, I don't think they're going to get the result. I don't want to be a party pooper about this all, but um, the home support was really crucial at the racetrack. They, They really had the whole community behind them. It was an unbelievable atmosphere. As you would expect, I, I'm sure they're going to have a great tra- a r- traveling atmosphere uh, there the, to Sheffield. But I, again, without the ma- the bulk of the home support behind them, I don't know how they're going to be able to to overcome the odds in this one. I think to many older English fans, they prefer the FA Cup than the Premier League because yeah. the FA Cup is the oldest association football tournament, I think, in in, in English football in history. Yeah, in the world. it's it's, it's not been... the longest continuous, but it's the oldest, and I think, mm-hmm. like you said, a lot yeah, of people appreciate of... it because you know the the league structure wasn't always. There's there. a lot of stories where these older you know fans said that. You know, you couldn't see like a, a fourth round proper or fifth round proper on television. It was only the final. Yeah. So like to see something like that, I mean, it's the beauty of the, of the FA Cup. And uh, I think one exciting thing that I saw, something like was pretty cool, was that uh, the NFT Championship was playing in Philadelphia, and Rob McElhenney was actually there. He was tailgating with some fans, some Philly fans there, and uh, they were watching the Wrexham game while Ron and Reynolds going crazy. You know, Wrexham. What a legend. So uh, that's something cool to see too. To see like you know American fans, you know, and to see like how how beautiful it's F- the fa cup you know there rexham was just winning three two mm-hmm. like five minutes four minutes left uh, of time and then you know the equalizer just came in the last minute and that's when everybody just you know went like wow like you know they're not playing extra time they're like no they play a replay another match away at Sheffield united but i think what ryan reynolds and rob like and he did i mean I, don't, I haven't seen any of the episodes yet but like to see like the the gym the pitch you know some of the stadium there's, it's a lot of work to be to be an owner. I mean, you see like owners, you know, come and go. You know, it's it's t- difficult, especially in the Premier League. It's difficult to manage a, a Premier League club. But uh, I don't know. I, I want to give my predictions of, of this game. I don't think it's going to be a good game from Wrexham. Definitely, the atmosphere can get to you as a player. So I think Re- Sheff- Sheffield actually is going to win this game. But you never know because it, it is the beauty of the, the magic of, of the, the FA Cup. The magic of the FA Cup. So. Uh, do you want to give some score predictions? Because I'm going to go two nil Sheffield. Yeah, I, I was going to say I don't. I, I, you know what? I'll say Wrexham could nick a goal away, but I, I'll go three one Sheffield. I do. Three I don't think Sheffield. they're going to have enough to to combat them away from four home. three Wrexham. 
Ooh. Somebody, somebody on the pod's got. Yeah, you got to, you got to back the boys. Is someone writing the script <laughs> for this, yeah. for this FA Cup tie for for the next F, for the next season for of the, the next show. season of the show to win the FA Cup because last season, you know, I mean, the last season for them, they lost in Wembley. Just, yeah, just yeah. barely. They just based barely on lost, promotion yeah. in the playoffs. Um, yeah, it's a rough season for them. Uh, just, just one more quick thing before we move on. Um, if the idea of the FA Cup excites you and you don't want to go to England to watch it, there's an American version called the U.S. Open Cup that's been running for wow. 109 years. <laughs> Their Twitter account was on a heater. Yeah. Like, yeah. This exists yeah. here too. The, F- the, the U.S. Open Cup uh, was it's uh, one of the most historic the competitions. The US Open Cup. One of the most, yeah, magical. The magic of the Sacramento US Open Republic Cup. second division team went to the final last year. They came up short, but um, second division team won 08 Rochester Raging Rhinos. I mean, there's so much history there. 109 years, they ran straight for 107 until the pandemic. They played through uh, World War II. That's something the FA Cup didn't even do. So well, just they saying. Were getting bombed. Well, and wow. we were in the war too. All right, yeah. the U.S. was in the war. All, all right. our best men were at, were were how off, we, how we're we off overseas. The, how we get World War II. But all the soccer, all the soccer players stayed home. That's just how dedicated American soccer history is. All right, boys. The magic b- of football. Before we conclude, James, we do have to touch on the U.S. men's national team camp. Played two friendlies this past week. Last Wednesday, losing two one to Serbia. Brendan Vasquez gets his. Goal, first goal for the Stars and Stripes. And then this past weekend on Saturday, drawing nil-nil to Columbia. A ton of new members capped for this team. Um, favorite John Tolkien getting capped. Yeah. Um, I think for me, um, the Wednesday match was more fun just because it was a lot fresher faces and, you know, yeah, it's a 2-1 defeat, but getting that early goal on a, a really quality cross plate in to Vasquez's head. Um, from Gressel whipped that in, right? Julian Gressel. Yeah, Julian in. Gressel. Yeah, it was a fantastic ball from him. So Nina played well in that, which I thought was exciting, um, just knowing him for so long on a personal level. Uh, it's a Serbian roster that has some names in there, you know, I can't pronounce them because few like, a few MLS guys. Yeah, Ilicic, uh, Petrovic, Petrovic, and Jovalic yeah. are the MLS guys. Yeah, so like guys that are familiar. Some familiarity. And then the the Colombia match was really I don't want to say disappointing for me, but a letdown. A letdown, yeah, because you got Walker Zimmerman and Aaron Long and Sean Johnson in the back who keep the clean sheet, but you've got Paul Ariola, a guy who a lot of people thought should have gone to the World Cup just because of how ride-or-die Greg was with him. Jesus Ferreira, who did go to the World Cup and was Jesus Ferreira at that World Cup, and Matthew Hoppe, a guy who's been you know, one of those names of strikers that, oh, maybe the U.S. should include him at some time in a competition moving forward. They didn't look good, which is just... You know, against a Colombian side that, yes, missed the World Cup, but this wasn't the best Colombian side we could see by a long shot. So I, I think it's tough to take anything away from this, from this these two matches, just because it was just a tune-up for the sake of tuning up. But for me, really, that Columbia game was just such a disappointment because a guy like Jesus Ferreira, Paul Ariola, and Hoppy, and even Kellen Acosta kind of looked a little bit flat. I mean, shout-out to Paxton Aronson, Brendan's brother getting a cap, his first career cap. John Tolkien the same. But really, those front three... You know, guys who probably, if they are not in the future for 2026, let's be honest, maybe Copa America could be their, you know, last chance to make a statement for themselves if we're willing to look a year and a half into the future. But guys that 
should have been included in the World Cup in the case of Areola. Hoppy, a guy that maybe will be the future for this team. Ferreira, a guy who brought, got brought to the World Cup, was the subject of a lot of criticism. You expected this three to have enough worth playing for to go out there and make a statement, and they just looked really flat and disappointing. Yeah, I think a big a big reason for a lot of that, you know, lack of match sharpness, maybe if you want to call it that, is ten of these eleven starters are in Major League Soccer and are in their off season. Uh, I think that's a lot, of, and that's a lot of the reason why you know the January camp we find ourselves asking questions and then we come away not getting answers because it's it's just 180 minutes of friendlies with 25 or so guys that all deserve to get looked at for sure but don't necessarily get a chance to to showcase all of what they got but meanwhile this is a team of players that we're pretty largely familiar with with the exception at the national team level of Pax and Aronson uh Dewan Jones and if you want to make the case for Eric Williamson, I would argue that he was at the Gold Cup. We've seen enough of him. He's been really good in MLS for Portland. Matthew Hoppy's an interesting one because obviously plays in Europe, but he hasn't gotten out of the U23 team with Middlesbrough, so it's been a tricky situation for him. Colombia, again, like you said, not their biggest, uh, not their biggest and best guys. Same with Serbia. Both they brought MLS players as well. Chicho Arango started up top, even though he just left LAFC to go back to Mexico. Um, it's it's a uh, it, it was, yeah, like I said, another one where you just didn't take away a lot from it. I don't think we learned anything. I'm just glad we're in a, in the position where we can say this is early in the next U.S. World Cup cycle, and therefore it's okay if we don't have a lot of answers right now. It's okay if we're still searching for a coach. Ideally, we figure that out by March with the Nations League, if, even if it's still an interim by then, not the end of the world. Try to figure out a car- coach by the Gold Cup, and even if... By then, we don't have an idea of who's the sporting director, general manager, coach, you know, replacing McBride, uh, Stewart, and Bearhalter. It's probably by the end of the Gold Cup should we start to get those answers back. And I, and I think if the U.S. can get a better direction going from that point on, they're going to be way better off in the long run uh, in terms of just not, not only playing well on the field, but in terms of structure. Because if if we can reclaim the cohesion in the administration that we had prior to all of the stuff that came out with Gio Reyna breaking out it seemed like the administration and the team were on really real and really close terms in terms of bringing players in from other federations like your Eunice Musas and um and your Serginho Dests that 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 takes two parties that takes the team side and the administration side if they can figure that out again then I would not worry too much into the state of what's going on right now with the men's national team the women are in a are in a interesting spot they got their lineup the roster for the she believes cup just came out um some a lot of big names on that lineup too they play brazil and canada you know it's it's going to be a tough games for them that's what we want to see the u.s when we want to see them play japan and canada and brazil that and we want to see them play the netherlands and france we don't necessarily want to see them just hang around with CONCACAF teams the same thing with the men's but for the women I think they have a bigger standard of you know going and playing tougher teams because they are the back-to-back world champs but as for the men again like yeah it was nice to see Tolkien play it was nice to get a cameo from Dewan Jones but overall wouldn't say we learned much I would say the Nations League obviously when it comes to mind about the Nations League I always gonna look back at that final that final yeah that 
that final to me was Ooh. was really amazing. I, but you know, again, the Gold Cup and back to back against Mexico. But for me, I think this team is shaping up for that Copa America. I think they know that that Copa America means more because of the players they're going to go against. You know, the world champions, Argentina are going to be playing, and a lot of Comebol teams. And I think you know, I think they have to qualify still, or they're already qualified. I think they're hosting yeah, they're because they're, 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 they're hosting and it. they got the the invitation. I think it's called technically, Correct. even though they're the hosts. So yeah, I think uh, apart from the Nations League and the Gold Cup, this team probably going to have a, a great coach for that Copa America, and definitely going to have a set of a set of a system and players to play for that. So it's definitely going to be exciting two years for this team, USA, because they do have to play in three competitions. Spe- speaking of USA, we didn't even mention for the transfers, Weston McKinney to Leeds. I mean, that's overrated. Well, it's overrated, but you've got now you've got Tyler Adams, Brendan Aronson, and Weston American McKinney all man. playing it's for Jesse American Marsh. Connection. I know, but that's a little whatever. It's a, I, I agree. I think that's maybe a step it's, maybe it's a little in his career. For him personally, you think? Yeah. But it is in the Premier League now. I know it's in the Premier League, but I think he could have gone anywhere else. We're just going to have to wrap up because I realized I forgot <laughs> talk. I forgot to bring a paper that I have due for my 2.30 class, so I have to run all the way home, uh, which is like a half mile. It's not, okay. And then uh, come back. So this has actually been a, a really fun episode, boys. Yeah. I kind of came in a little, not pessimistic, but a little like, well, let's see what we talk about. And it's ended up being a pretty sound show. Big shout out to Mike Calamari behind the glass. Woo. Julia Moss helped us out on... Everything visual for this. James Burley, Gino Alva, Keenan Troy saying, have a good weekend. Premier League is back tomorrow morning, 6 a.m. Eastern time. Chelsea versus Fulham. Take care.